Praise the Lord, my lords, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord. Amen. Uh, is that Pastor Wilson? Yes, please, my lords, the mightiest prophets of the Lord, please. Uh, amen. So we are live on air. I hope we are right now live on air. Uh, yes, please, my lords, you are live on air, please, my lords. Thank you. Well, blessed people, beloved people, uh, we have seen today that the Lord has been very clear in communicating to mankind to the Church of Christ, and uh, we saw ever since we began today our conversation on the eternal kingdom of God, on the eternity that the Lord has prepared for the Church. We saw very, very clearly, without any ambiguity whatsoever, that the Lord, in His master plan of creation, He already embedded and He engraved and ingrained in the life of man certain markers, very important spiritual markers that were supposed to be guiding principles, guiding navigators for mankind to help them attain their bearing towards the glorious kingdom of God. And I said in our earlier conversation today that when you look at the entire scripture, the Bible, the Bible comes up very clearly, the Bible sets out those particular landmarks the Lord put in place. And these are landmarks not somewhere on the earth, but landmarks embedded right into the heart and the lives of the Christians in the Word. And uh, I have walked on with you on the fact that in all that the Lord was saying that this world is very perishable, and therefore it's very profitable to prepare for the glorious, lasting, everlasting kingdom of God lasting and everlasting kingdom of God. And I also say that the Lord is essentially saying that it would be um, it would be misplaced for anyone to bank to bank on this world to really to, to cover their, their lives uh, to fill their lives with the going on on this earth and uh to, to, to make that their mainstay and to never ever in any way think about eternity. He said that is not the way he created man. And uh, we remember very well, beloved people, even through the laws of creation, the way Jehovah created, he has always come out very clearly in a conversation with man that what you are doing is not the way I created you. He has come out to contest the status quo, to contest the complacency, to contest the heedlessness. He has many times come out to speak in very clear terms with men by telling them that I created you, I, Jehovah the Lord, but what you are doing is not the way I created you. That is not even the trend in nature. In nature. And in those conversations, for example, we are too well aware of the conversation when the Lord does make reference to the ox. He talks the ox, the, the bull, and he says, even the ox knows its owner. But in nature, in nature, just by creation, animals, animals that never ever think about eternity. Not any day do they wake up in the morning and wonder, wow, where will I spend eternity now? They don't do that. And yet he says, in his order of creation, even animals in this nature, 
mitigated them in such a way that there is a constant reminder that is embedded within the rhythm of the animal, the clock of the animal, to be able to remind them that, number one, they have an owner. They have an owner. In other words, they are accountable to somebody. They, they must account to somebody. They belong to somebody. So when the Lord began to see this generation coming to homosexuality, discotheques, what, if you go to many cities like Houston, Texas, or Dallas, Texas, Oklahoma, New York City, Sydney, wherever, every Friday you see students walking out in large numbers, thousands going to drink, drinking pubs, and so forth, doing things as though they are not even aware having any sense whatsoever at all, as though they have no sense at all that at one point they need to be accountable to an owner, to their owner. They're not even aware that somebody owns them. You would wonder, then, who woke you up this morning? If you want to claim you're not aware you have an owner. But you see, the Lord is looking at all this recent trend of godlessness, where sometimes some some atheists, even in the church you see the, 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 the hidden systems of atheism playing out, the disbelief, the clandestine uh, Christian atheism, which is really the fallen Christianity that doesn't hurt heaven. And the Lord is saying that how, how really, when even in the order of nature that I created, even a cow, a bull, an ox, that does not have to think about eternity, is very much aware, number one, that it is accountable to an owner, it has an owner. Number two, that when time gets late, the time comes, whether it's feeding on grass, whether that grass or that pasture is so fresh and green and succulent and healthy and delicious, however delicious, but the time comes when even an ox says no, it is time for me to return to my owner. So they are aware of the concept of returning, to return. And yet he says humans are operating today as though they are not even aware that there is such a concept called returning home. They are operating out their free spirits, not caring. If you ask them about God or any ownership God has over them, they say in ignorance, they say, God, uh, yeah, I think God loves all people. Yeah, I don't believe in that. And then he walks away. He says that, that's not even in the order of creation, the way he created man and creation and living beings. And so the other thing he raises in this very context is the fact that the cow, the bull, for example, the ox, not only does it get to know that it owes its owner some responsibility, some accountability, but it's aware it as an owner. But not only that, it also gets to know that it has, there is a way that leads to its owner. It knows the way that leads, in other words, they know the way that leads home. So in other words, they have a concept of this is not home. However succulent and delicious the pasture is here, this is not home. At one point, I have to return home. So the Lord is raising forth a case using creation and he's saying even in the animals, the invaded system that perpetually awakens them, alert them, that the time to return to your owner, they tend to go back home has arrived. 
And so, it puzzles our creator so much to the extent that he asks, now where did we pick this conduct from? This person where everybody today, you know, almost every other person says, you know, they don't believe in God or they believe there's so many ways of getting to God. Where did this come from when even animals in God's own order of creation, they are aware that they have to be accountable to their owner. And a point comes when they have to return and they are aware of the way that led back home. So this is the whole conversation we've been having today when I say that the Lord has raised forth enough markers. You can call them spiritual markers. You can call them uh, the magnetic compass, something that really should be able to spiritually guide a human being, a living soul, a living person, to guide him or her home. That that person may get back home and know that her partner, no, for me I know that I'm accountable to Jehovah, I'm accountable to Jesus, and because time is running late, it is really time to go back home and give account. Yeah? So this is the kind of conversation we've been having the whole day here. I want just to advance it a little bit more. And I've been saying that in the scriptures I read, it came out absolutely very clear that this generation is number one, beloved. Even for the Lord to be engaging this generation in this kind of conversation, an awakening conversation, a conversation that helps to actually redirect their attention and focus and eyes towards the skies, towards the coming of the Messiah towards the stairs of heaven, towards eternity with God, towards everlasting life in heaven, towards another place, not this place. And I said that uh, the tragedy of all tragedies is when the church does indeed become complacent and the pastor is not able to bring forth this vivid, glaring truth to the sheep under their jurisdiction, to be able to help them also to focus on eternity. In other words, how can a blind guide everything? And so to advance this conversation, blessed people, I want to move on now. Life is like wind. Proverbs chapter 11, beloved people, verses 28 to 30. I'll read stepwise as much as we can. Again, Proverbs 11, 28 to 30. And he says, Proverbs 11, 28, 30, he says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. So right away the Lord is already laying premium, is apportioning premium to righteousness. And in the context of our discussion and conversation since we began today, you can see that if the Lord is laying emphasis and premium, is placing premium on righteousness before his throne, then you can almost tell that this righteousness must really have chamber chamber in Swahili, must really have something that really prolongs shelf life, that really converts from the perishable realm into eternity then. Because we are talking about the perishability of this life and the everlastingness of the life in heaven. And so you see here that the Lord is exalting righteousness and it's, it's a green, the, the, while the rest will go down, they will blossom, they will green, they will bloom, they, they, they will bud. Yeah? So which means the Lord is saying there is something about righteousness that has the capacity and propensity to extend the otherwise temporary life of this earth into the eternal realm. But let's move on. It says, 
whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Then it says, he who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind. Look at that now. And then he moves on to say, and the fool will be served unto the wise. Verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. So the Lord is right there cutting out for you the job, cutting out the task for the church, and he's centering this on righteousness, and he's also talking about the fact that righteousness is really, really the vessel, is really that capacitation God has given man that can remove mortal man from this life that's like a vessel we saw into the place where they can access the tree of life. And we know at the tree of life is where there is eternal life. That is the place at which now the consummation of God, God receiving the church, meeting God face to face. That is the ultimate. That's the reason for creation, beloved people. And so this is the conversation we've been having. Now you see again here, righteousness is now factored in as a key. The Lord brings in righteousness, and he says righteousness has that capacity. Righteousness is that gift Jesus gave the church. Righteousness is that which can annul the weaknesses of your being, your present life, and move it from being, being a mere vapor to the eternity of your soul. So as we move on, beloved people, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 also goes a long way to underscore exactly what we are discussing today. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and I am reading 15 to 17. And he says, again, Ecclesiastes 5, 15 to 17. And he says, naked a man, again, Ecclesiastes 5, 15 to 17. I'm reading right away. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and he comes, so he departs. And as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Amazing. Again, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and he comes, and so as he comes, he departs. Meaning, naked he comes, naked he departs. And he moves on to say, beloved people, he takes nothing from his labor, so you wonder, why the effort? Why all this time? Why to prioritize on the effort on this earth, the work on this, the fending, the gathering, the accumulation whatsoever, whatever it be? And he says here, and he moves on to say, he takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand, meaning in that grave or whatever, in that tomb. This too is grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain? Since he toils for the wind. Verse 17 he says, And his days, all his days, he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. That doesn't look like peace at all. So, beloved people, the Lord has brought to fatality this enormous effort you see now globally 
every time everyone is putting in tremendous effort to be able to accumulate to gather they, they say the more the better and they spend so much time if you look at this generation especially they call it the sending generation the generation of providence where you know everybody is just asked how much you can go and gather and do what and then and, and accumulate you know so, so he brings all that to fatality here when he rubbishes the labor of men. He says, when the time comes to depart and go, to go meet your maker, then again, not even a thing can you carry in your hand. And then he says, it's like the wind. Because though they are working for the wind, you cannot touch it, you can't hold it. They have nothing left, nothing to show cause, to show for all the time and effort. And all these are powerful pointers to this generation that we really ought to be focusing on to the imperishable realm, onto that which is concrete, that which is substantive and substantial, which is eternal life. I know this generation is so much into margin, profit margin. How can I profit here? How can I gain on this side? It's as though when you do something, you have to gain from it. Even charity sometimes looks like fading away, winning away. So in that same concept and context of do this to make it profitable, then the Lord is telling them it is really going to be very profitable for this generation to focus on eternity. Because eternity, you hold it. It's not like wind. You have it. Once you enter into eternity, you will live eternally, eternal life, an everlasting life that never ends. So for a generation that loves to make profit and profiteer, there you go now. What a powerful lesson for you there. The book of Isaiah 26 verse 18 also brings to context some of these very important principles the Lord is laying here today. Isaiah 26 verse 18. And this is what he says in Isaiah 26 18. He says, we were with child, we were with child, again Isaiah 26, I give you a minute or so to get there, Isaiah 26, 18, and he says, we were with child, we reaped in pain, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth. Again, we have not brought salvation to the earth. We have not given birth to people of the world. So again, even in the same context of life is like a wind, the life on this earth, we saw in the previous vapor, evaporating, dissipating away, temporary. We go, don't bank on it, don't put all your eggs on this. It won't last forever. But now, how shocking again that like a wind that all of a sudden passes like this and it's gone. And that means that you don't feel the wind anymore. So the Lord has really rubbished the effort by this generation to focus. If there is any generation that has focused on the world, it is this particular generation. But now, the awakening is that the Lord is rubbishing all that, bringing it to fatality and mortality, and he's telling them, now there is eternity. Now there is eternal life. Now it pays to invest into eternity. Because then you have it. It will not dissipate. Once you have it, you have it. Isaiah 31 verse 9, still on the same context. 
419, and then I'll move to Jeremiah, and then right away switch a little bit. Isaiah 419, I'm reading here, I read an IV. Again, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 9, I'm reading now. I took from the end of the earth, from his father's corners, and I took you from the end of the earth, from his father's corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you. Do not fear, verse 10, do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you in my righteous hand and so forth. So, very, very powerful scriptures. I just want to end it right there and move on something very important, a new dimension now. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, from verses 2 to 4. Still on the fatality of life on this earth. Ecclesiastes 9. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We have a people... And I'm reading from verses 2 to 4, that you may understand why the Lord has flashed the glorious tears of everlasting life to you, the believer tuned in listening to me, and what he's saying to you and how you ought to behave in the dispensation of the stairs. The dispensation of the stairs from eternity. How ought you to behave then? I'm reading now the book of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I'm reading 2 to 4. This is what he says here, beloved people. And he says, All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. And make sure you don't understand this, understand this common destiny. The Lord is saying that he has set limits for life on this planet. He's saying that for as long as you are alive here, there is a particular place at which all will end up. And then from that point on, how you live your life, right yes or not, will become so key and critical. In other words, nobody lives forever here. But let me move on here. He says, uh, verse 2, he says, All share a common destiny, the righteous and wicked, good and bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not offer as it is with the good man, so it is with the sinner. As it is with those who ought to take off, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. Again, this is the evil with everything in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is a madness. There is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. And reading King James, he says, this is an evil for verse 3, an evil among all things that are done under the sun. It is done. And it says that there is one event unto all. Yea, all the hearts of the sons of men 
are full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. So it goes on and on, but I just want to open up a little bit to explain this to you. The Lord is saying that he is really, really very shocked by the earth and by humanity in the way that executed the wonderful life he gave them. The garland, and he gave them as a gift, he gifted them with. And he's so shocked that while men live on this earth, they live as though there is no God. They live as though they will not die. They live as though they are not accountable to anybody. They do anything under homosexuality, rights, murders, bloodshed every day going on on the earth here, adulteries, immoralities, lying, left and right. So the Lord is saying the shock is that when he looks at the entire humanity, especially this generation, he finds a generation that has reached the point of not even caring anymore. You know, at least in the days of past, there was conscience. Out of conscience, you know, someone felt, even if they believe in kind of a being, but they felt like certain acts that were wicked could not be done. They could not do the shade away from them. But a generation that has gone ahead, they marry man to man, they even fight for that marriage, woman to woman, homosexual marriages, whatever the case be. He's saying that he's quite astonished that while they are still alive, in their heedlessness and systems of heathenism and atheism, they live as though there is no God and they are God to unto themselves with a small g. And he's very shocked because he says, it seems as though they have the same fate. Because finally, the moment comes, which they die. But what is very shocking to the Lord, he now calls it the lunacy of the heart. They have a lunacy that goes on in the heart, according to the Lord Yahweh. And that lunacy is very shocking to the Lord because he says that, they, they, look at it now, they are living, they pretend they have no capacity to detect that there is a hole in front, there is a ditch, and if they don't change course, they are going to plunge deep into the ditch where they cannot help themselves or be rescued. And they simply live like, you know, he calls it the lunacy of the heart, but it's a madness. It's a madness. Why? Because any rational thinking person, if you knew that there is a war you cannot fight, then you always retreat and make peace. For example, who can fight the Lord? And you see that this generation is really out to fight the Lord. Their defiance is a kind of war they are waging against the Lord. Some of them physically involved in trying to waging a fight against the Lord and his articles or his worship or whatever. But he's saying, in the same way you see a lunatic in the street, and when this lunatic is crossing the street, there is a car coming high speed, but they have no capacity to detect the danger. They think that that car might hit me and kill me. So that's why sometimes as a driver you have to slow down until this lunatic crosses the road, even though the light is green, because... It looks like they have no capacity to detect the danger. But he's saying that this generation is like mana, is like that, is like way. This generation is behaving as though they are not aware that right in front of us here is a danger of living a life of sin. Because the stairs have been lowered. And within a short time, the righteous will go into the glorious eternal kingdom of the lasting life where there will be no death, 
There will be peace, no torment, no suffering, no pain, no cancer, no diabetes, no amputation, no divorce, no unemployment, no any kind of malaria, disease, HIV, whatever it is that is traumatizing men on the earth. It will be such everlasting peace and joy with God. And so, those will go into eternity, the holy and the righteous. However, they are living as though they are not aware that those that live a sinful life, they will have to enter the danger. They are walking through a danger of going to hell. This is everlasting fire. It's an infierno in Spanish. A furnace. And this is what the Lord is trying to underscore here. He's saying, therefore, that it is not plausible. It is untenable, the life of men now, this life of hot pursuit for sin. Just pursuing sin, some of them are in the sin industry. Like that now you find the church, sometimes the churches are in the sin industry. Because you see the way they are doing their shows on Sunday with the short dresses and what, it's just sin. You see, these are the really sin entertainment and sin industry. So they become workers of iniquity. And you say, but in so doing, it is only lunacy that can cause a man do such a thing without perceiving the dangers thereof, the dangers after that. And that's why the Lord brings in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it brings in 2 to 4, to awaken you, just a moment. In the same way a lunatic walks, and when if you tell him, please, don't cross the road, look, we are waiting for the light to be green, you are going to be hit by a car. They don't have capacity to perceive that and simply keep walking on until the high-speed cars hit them. Or high-speed cars, you know, I mean, it's a situation. They don't detect the danger. But the Lord is saying, so it is with this generation. They are marching on. They are charging forward like a horse charging into battle. They don't care. They don't repent. They don't see the need to repent. They don't see the need to change course. They are turning on, rushing on, without knowing, as though they are not aware that ahead is danger of hell, eternal hell, eternal fire, eternal suffering, eternal pain, eternal agony. You can imagine blessed people. And yet, we are right now sitting on the verge of eternity, where both hell and eternity in heaven are presented. So he's wondering, what kind of lunacy is this that makes a generation still choose hell? Still choose inferno, a furnace of hell. And that's why he brings up uh, his whole narrative, the thesis that he deposited on the lunacy of the heart. Something's wrong with the heart of this generation. That this generation is living in a lunatic way because they are claiming they cannot perceive the dangers that are right ahead of us here, the dangers of living a perpetual life of sin. And you see young students in the university, and they are really young, really. Sometimes they are so young and you wonder, oh, she's chosen to live like this. Oh, what a waste of life. And you see a choice, a deliberate choice, and they chose to live a life of sin right from the tender age and they move on all over the university, you get those who choose, you know, just to not to believe anyone. Probably in the beginning they were Christians. And so the Lord is saying that there is no better time in the history of humanity when the two choices are so distinctively very clear and you need, 
you, you, you need the end, an apocalypse, the end, for you to fail to pick the truth. Because right now the stairs are presented, and hell has presented. The torment of hell, everybody's aware. Among the things the Lord placed in the heart of men is the conscience to be able to understand what is right and what is wrong. But he's asking, how can a generation be like this? Heedless, careless, without care. They have no concept of accounting to the Lord. They take themselves as though they were self-existent. But man is not God. So that's why he says, you can only do so when something is wrong in the heart. This generation needs a healing miracle in their heart because there is a lunacy of the heart that is sitting across the land. And it says the book of Hebrews, when now now down into the church, the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 46, the warning that he gives the church. Hebrews chapter 6, beloved people, verses 46, he gives such a warning to the church. Now the church that is heedless, the church that has taken the blessing of the grace and attempted to abuse the grace, and this is what he says. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, to be brought back and, and, and fall away, to be brought back to repentance because they are lost, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public shame. So you see... The generation, you could take the entire population of the earth and divide it into two. And give your consideration to the Christians that subscribe to Christianity, that say, really, I'm born again and go to church. And that within that group that go to church, he is now addressing them, the group that goes to church, those who profess salvation of Jesus. And he's saying, how can you receive the noble and noble blood of Jesus and be born again and even receive the knowledge and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And then later now, decide that for you, you will continue to live a porous life. This porosity in Christianity you see in Australia, in Adelaide, you see it in part of Australia, in Sydney, in Melbourne, in Canberra, you see it all the way, all over across Australia. You see it in Canada, you sit in Europe, you sit in Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, everywhere. This porosity, the Lord says he does not understand. Because how can you be enlightened, enlightened, being born again? You have received Christ, and you are now enlightened, and then still choose the way that leads to hell. And that's why still the Lord has the case on the lunacy of the hearts of this generation. He's saying you would really have to be totally out of the mind of your heart for you to see clearly that eternity has been flashed, has been presented in the sky, and the blessed elects of God, the children of God, the faithful righteous, the holy remnant, are preparing for grand entry. That's a grand entry. And the, 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 the half part of that prophecy talks about their grand entry, climbing up, ascending. And yet, in the same context, at the same time, in that dispensation of the stairs of heaven, the stairs of everlasting life, 
and then choose just to now live a poor of Christian life. When you already came out of the world, you came out of the planet, and then you come into the church, and now choose that you are going to choose hell from inside the house of the Lord. This is all that God is talking about. And he's saying, but when you look at the underlying reasons why there is porosity and apostasy in Christian salvation, Christianity today, then you find it's mostly related to sending for a living lifestyle, to live a more comfortable life on this earth, to be acceptable. There is a way they live their life honestly to be able to fit into the world life, the world system. But that is already what he has got of eternity by saying it's like a vapor. Life on this earth is like a vapor. Don't set off your eternity for a vapor. And that's why blessed people today really serves me as a powerful day to be able to awaken the church and tell the Christians, stop the hypocrisy. Stop it that the Lord may be able to do the greater exploits you intended to go in your heart, in the house of the Lord. Now, still within the glorious days of God, now we come into a very, very important encounter that Jesus has. The Lord Jesus has this very tremendous encounter with a Canaanite woman. 